to see for yourselves one of the most amazing events. When is this great experiment made? Impervious to heat, impossible to move. Is it human or inhuman? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It's time for the Beaky Drummy Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Hello and welcome to the Geeky Drummy Show. Joining me today, Miss Keith Bloomfield. Hello, Ryan. Miss Guy Hubbard. Parish Priest. And Mr. Lee Plus. Hi. Right. <laughs> I have... We're going to go straight into it. Weird news. I have three stories for your enjoyment. Have you been this week, Lee? You're right. How you been this week, Keith? You've been all right. I've been, been fine. This week, Ryan? You've been all right. Go yeah. straight well, on. Good. All right. So, first news story from rnz.co.nz. So this where, where, where do you find these? This is New Zealand news. Uh, the headline is Penguins Ignore Police Return to Sushi Shop. Oh, I saw that story. Penguins Ignore Police Return to Sushi Shop. Okay. Uh, from abc.net.au Christian family who argued taxes are against God's will ordered to pay £2.3 million bill. <laughs> <laughs> and from cnbc.com Charmin's new forever roll is a massive roll of toilet paper targeted at millennial customers. The, 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 ta- the tax bank Christians. Yeah. Also as well, did you just find websites that just literally was every letter of the alphabet? <laughs> Pretty much. So, this is from abc.net.au, so from our Australian cousins on the other side of the world. Uh, written by Phoebe Hosier. Phoebe Hosier? Yes. So, I mean, I'm not going to lie, sounds like a character from an adult film. <laughs> right, so, Christian family who argued taxes against God's will ordered to pay $2.3 million bill. A Tasmanian family has ordered to pay more than $2 million to the tax Australian Taxation Office after failing to pay income tax on the grounds it was against God's will. Well, I just asked when he said Tasmanian, the Tasmanian devil what exactly is the Tasmanian devil theme tune, guy? Tasmania. Oh, yeah, that one. I forgot all about that. Christian missionary Fanny Alida Beery Food. You're making every word up, aren't you? Fanny Alida Beery Poot and her brother. <laughs> Fanny Aida Beery Poot. Fanny Alida Beery Poot and her one. brother, Robertus Cornelius. Oh, come on. <laughs> At least try Real and make names, it sound These names legit. are against God's will. Real names can fit in the court case if you go and check. Mm. He faced the Supreme Court of Tasmania on Wednesday after they both failed to pay an estimate. Estimated $930,000 in income tax and other charges in 2017. Solicitor, Solicitor Stephen Linden told the court the pair had been served two notices of their death and failed to lodge their tax returns. In their submissions, Mr. Mr. Beery Poot said Australian tax law was contrary to the law of Almighty God. I suppose they could fit their names on this page or on the paper. When he says Beery Poot, is anybody <laughs> else just seeing some guy who's had a lot of homebrew and making a pretty yeah, fart smell? Yeah. <laughs> In this, uh, we believe the Constitution affirms the fact that the Commonwealth resides within the jurisdiction of the Almighty God, and the law of the Almighty God is the supreme law of this land, he told the court. Represent- so it appears to be a gunfight <laughs> happening outside Keith's <laughs> We're filming from the Wild West today. <laughs> 
Representing themselves, the pair told the court they'd previously paid income tax prior to 2011, but it had a deep and spiritual relationship, and they later realised paying tax was against God's will. Mr. Beery Poot told the court the pair had sent letters to the Queen and the Prime Minister last month, calling into question the jurisdiction of taxation and the validity of the legislation. He argued that by being made to pay taxes, their dependence on God was being taken away from them, which is causing Australia to be cursed. So, hang on. What, that was a beery poo, I'm sorry. What denomination of Christianity did it, does it say? It doesn't say. Okay, because I was going to say, if they're writing to the Queen and they're not, and they're not Anglican, then there's a problem there. She's the head of that church. <laughs> and we have a quote here. As we move outside of God's jurisdiction, the country has received curses, which we're already seeing in the form of perhaps some infertility. <laughs> we rely on the blessings we receive from God and which we give to him, not an outside entity such as the tax office. In 2017, the family had their 2.4 hectare property at Mole Creek in northern Tasmania seized and sold for later sold for $120,000 by the Neander Valley Council as they refused to pay about $3,000 worth of rates on the property over seven years. We don't own anything because we are his, Ms. Beery Poot told the court. Justice Holt ordered the Beery Poots to pay an estimated $1.159 million and $1.166 million respectively covering income tax debts, administrative costs, interest charges and balance account deficit debts. Sushi penguins, I'm getting bored of this one now. That was the end of the article. Oh. I just liked it for the names. There was quite a few times that you managed to get to say beery poots. Yes. So this is from rnz.co.nz. So New Zealand, penguins ignore police, return to sushi shop. This is written by Hamish Hardwell. (laughs) (laughs) Little blue penguins have been removed. Little blue penguins, are they from Mario? have been removed from under a sushi bar in front of a Wellington railway station for the second time. They were first spotted at dawn outside the Wellington railway station and took shelter under, under the nearby shop Sushi Bean's Beard. Police said the waddling vagrants were removed from their sushi stand earlier today by Constable John Zoo after being told that they were there for about 6.30am. John Zoo said HU, not nominative the pair were temporarily detained by the Wellington police before being released back into Wellington Harbour. However, the owners of the shop tonight told RNZ the birds had yet again crossed busy traffic lanes between the harbour and the station to the sushi bar. The Department of Conservation were called in and removed the birds for the second time this evening. The department... Name's not down, it's not coming in. <laughs> the Department of Con- Conservation was monitoring the site as this breed of penguin was likely to try to return to the site again and again, despite being moved on. On Saturday evening, a little blue penguin was found close by on Featherston Street and was returned to the sea. This is all Disney's fault, isn't it? The idea that, that anthropomorphizing animals. So the police thought, we'll just talk to these penguins rationally and say, just put up a sign. stop going? Put up a sign. Yeah. <laughs> Department of Conservation's Wellington Operation Manager, Jack Mace, said the birds were quite common in Wellington Harbour, but the first time we had heard of them making themselves at home at the station. He said this time of year the penguins were pairing up and looking for sites where they could lay eggs. Fortunately, they do not lay eggs until late in the winter in Wellington. Mr. Mace said that the people would keep their distance from penguins, which could have a nasty bite. Winnie Morris works at the sushi shop where the penguins are held. She said she'd heard them cooing, humming, 
and that the birds likely hid near the grills beneath the shop where it was nice and warm. Pretty insane, the idea that some penguins are camping out under your shop, but I think it's adorable. They're probably terrified, but adorable. The little blue penguins' conservation status is considerably at risk due to climate. Department of Conservation volunteer Mike Rumble. Who helped remove the penguins a second time, said it was wishful thinking to hope that they might stay in their nesting box they were placing them, where they were placing on the waterfront. The natural characteristic of penguins, they will always t- return to the site they possibly <coughs> never leave. That's why here tonight, even though it's a good 300 metres away, they won't be surprised if you. I won't be surprised if the owner of the sushi bar says they're back. See, they went through all this effort of getting the penguins removed, but surely they could have just sent Guy in with a cardboard box. Yeah, <laughs> didn't save him for life. And <laughs> um, the charming story is basically they've made a giant roll that lasts a month supply for it, or or a week. With guys right. so, don't mock a man with IBS, mate. That does not look like a month's worth of toilet roll. That definitely has not a month's toilet roll. This is what you can rob one of those from work, and that's the same amount of toilet roll. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's an industrial toilet yeah. roll, that is. That's not just lose blue rag instead. It's an 850 sheets per roll, nearly twice the amount of the brand super mega size roll, but narrow enough to fit in cramped bathrooms, and is perfect for millennials who live alone. We were taking it for crap. So the yeah. only people that live alone are millennials? Apparently. Well done, Charming. That was your weird news for the week. Right, so um, let's talk about that man, Hollywood's biggest chin after Jay Leno. The foot fetish. Yeah, Mr. Quentin Tarantino. Lee is is angry. I'm, doing this feature, but... I'm sinking down in my chair <laughs> in rage. Um, Tarantino <laughs> is a particular favourite film director of mine. He has a new film out, which I'd have booked off the afternoon to go and see the day of release, 14th of August, and then my, my, my lovely girlfriend messaged me and said, I've got to plan that day and ruined my year. So, as such, um, we now have... Um, a new Tarantino film coming out on August 14th for everybody else, August 15th for me. But I thought we could skim through his back catalogue, pick out some highlights. So yeah, I thought we could have a skim through. Everybody's looked, literally looked at their phones here, which uh, shows me the lack of interest in this particular conversation. I'm, I'm bringing up Tarantino's back catalogue. We're doing a bit of research. I'm in my mind, pal. <laughs> right, so uh, we'll run through these quickly because everybody knows the score. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, debut film. Does it stand up still? There's one decent film. That's my contribution. So I think it, now looking back at it, like, it was cool, it was revolutionary in time, but like it was quite cheap now. It does look low budget. I think that works in its favour though because it is very much riffing off that 50s grind 50s, 60s grind housey early movie thing so it, it does work in its favour that it's a solid movie mm. his actual first film was My Best Friend's Birthday yeah, yeah. which was a short movie that he directed in 1987 yes but his first full feature film was Red Rod Dogs but yeah as I said to me it works as it's that a- kind of lo-fi indie movie it's a strong opening statement from a director and it can see why everybody lapped him up straight away you know I feel in terms of like director's first films that's got to be up there as one of the greatest you know it's like you know it made an impact on cinema it changed cinema in the 90s you know it made 
It shows how violent modern mainstream could become as well. It's it's definitely a product of the nineties. Children's Nineties was all about excess and hyper. It's a template for for cool films. Yeah. See, I totally disagree. With okay. That, that positioning of Reservoir Dogs, because it's not graphic. Not now. It's, you don't see anything. Most of the violence happens. You, you hear it, but you don't see it. The beauty of something like Reservoir Dogs is, for me, it's, it's a stage play as a film. Okay, yeah. It's very much about the dialogue between those characters. It's shot and framed like a stage play. I'll give you and that. The way that it's the way that it's it's contained within a, a, a very few um, locations. But is that due to focus. budget? I don't. Budget. I think I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's budget because I think what what Quentin was doing and what has done when he does it well in his career is focus on what the characters are saying. I mean, he's a like, he's a wordsman. He's not he's not a visual director. I get I get what you're saying though, because I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on it when we get to it in a few minutes' time. But like Inglorious Bastards is very much a similar stage. The thing where it feels like a five part play because it's it's literally realistically only five scenes effectively, and they all play out almost like short scenes of a play. So I can see what you're saying that Reservoir Dogs comes across a bit like a play because I feel he did that again with Inglorious Bastards, especially the bit in the bar downstairs with Fastbender in it. It's got that similar sort of vibe to it. So mm. I can see what you're saying. But it's, it is about the words for, for that that for that that first film, and I think it works really brilliantly because. It, that's quite fresh, mm. the, the way it relied on dialogue. I mean, and then you do get your recurring characters in here, or your recurring actors. Yeah, he sets set them up. So Michael Madsen, Tim Ross. He's, he's, he has a repertoire of, yeah. of, 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 of actors. And also the fact that... Um, I mean, Harvey Keitel finance movie, I think. One of the major finances yeah. of Reservoir Dogs. Also as well, you have characters. Yeah. Or, or the or the character names flowing yeah. between the pieces as well. So they they exist within their their, their yeah. um, band and like brand universe. like sort of brand of cigarettes and things. Yeah. Like so like okay, the next one's the biggie is Pulp Fiction. Obviously, that is where he it's, truly it's, put his name on the map. Well, it's his most infamous movie. I don't think he's ever going to reach that kind of peak. Tarantino like, that was around Pulp Fiction. See, I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and I like so I was talking about what we in the future we do now films of the decade show. I said if I was to name one film that defined the decade of the nineties, it's Paul instantly comes to mind Pulp Fiction. So if someone says name a film of the nineties, Pulp Fiction, that is my instant go to. Everybody associates that film as a massive film from that decade. Like it's well, it, it became pop culture in itself, didn't it? Because it was endlessly quotable, endlessly repeatable. It's it's a, it still to this day is a remarkable piece of cinema. Not a lot actually happens in it, but it's just it is a superb body of work it's just fascinating it's it's full of iconic moments mm-hmm. yeah. that everybody can pull something from the the anthology nature of the story yeah, is great the, because the there's something in there for it, it. Yeah. yeah and the just the look and the design and again it's like a lot of people had tried it post the kind of john hughes stuff in the 80s but this is again was another one of those times when the when the constructed playlist soundtrack yeah. hit all the beats that it needed to. There wasn't any songs in there that were just filler. It all made sense mm. for the whole kind of the, the whole kind of story that he was telling. And again, the dialogue is just snappy. Oh. He he it, cast actors it, who it, can it, deliver it well. It just oozed cool. I think that was the main part about it. It just oozed that mighty sense of this is how really cool bad yeah. guy characters basically. I think Every, it's, this is where I disagree because for me that cool. 
felt forced, and that's why I could not enjoy that film in any way. It all felt forced, apart from Samuel L. Jackson. It all just felt like it was Tarantino just yeah. ribbing you at constantly going like, oh, I'm, I'm cool, I'm cool, and that's why I just can't stand any of his films. <laughs> you remember John Travolta had been completely written off by Hollywood before this movie? Mm. And he'd had this, it it what? It's been quite a few years since the um, Saturday Night Fever oh, yeah, sequel, yeah. and he's he pretty much had no major roles, and then Tarantino puts him in, and he's back to being a megastar again. Mm. And I think, I think what, it was the whole coolness of. I think why why it works for Reservoir Dogs, but for for Pulp Fiction is is that he understands how film works and how yeah. iconic dialogue comes together because it's something that I always say to to people that I work with in terms of thinking about how people speak, is nobody in a film speaks like a real person. Mm. It's all constructed. Yeah. And in, in Pulp Fiction, it's the perfectly constructed dialogue that is just so on the money and says... Yeah. It, it says ridiculous things. It says things that you just go, this is just utter cobblers. But it's said with conviction yeah. and in a surrounding that you just go... Yeah, this is a man who understands how film works and how characters interact. The whole scene in the burger restaurant, that would never be a conversation that normal people would have mm. about the whole $5 shake. There'd be a square daddy. Yeah. And that was like... the point that I turned the film off at one point. Really? On one of my viewings, because as soon as that happened, I went, I've had enough of this. Yeah. But again, <laughs> it, it came at the perfect time because it was a burgeoning new internet culture and it became probably one of the first memeable films. You'll get lines like, are also, you okay? Also... No man, I'm pretty far from okay, which has become pretty much a standard. It also helped to launch a wave of nineties independent cinema, so like it paved the way for people like Kevin Smith who we'll discuss later. Yeah. You know people like that broke through because of Pulp Fiction because everybody wanted a bit of indie nineties cinema. Yeah. You know, on their roster at that point and that I think Tarantino helped those directors come allow gave them the pathway to the you know quirky, unusual, different films to be acceptable and popular. It put it pushed indie film into the spotlight yeah. for for a significant number of years. Okay, so then, right. so we had a bit of a break then. So then I'd say the next film is the last film in what I would call the like the famous Tarantino trilogy yeah. of the nineties. So Tarantino being one of the big things in the nineties. So you have Reservoir Dogs, you have Pulp Fiction. then you have Jackie Brown, which people saw as a disappointment. I love Jackie. Brown. Jackie Brown. When I put it down to it, is my favourite Tarantino film, it's hands down. Strange. It's a super, it's a masterwork. It's one of the ones I struggle with the most because I watch a lot of black exploitation movies, and this is his interpretation of it. And I think and he does it well. And also, it's an it's an adaptation of a book which has none of that influence in it. Yeah. The the character of Jackie Brown is not called Jackie Brown in in Outlaw Leonard's Run Punch. He's yeah. not. She's just got a completely different name. So he brought black exploitation to that novel, and it really, really works. I think it's he's not trying to make a black exploitation film, so to speak. He's just taking the influence, like the the start, some of the styles. It's the, it's the iconography of a black exploitation movie because that opening sequence where you see Pam Grier mm. and you hear the music and you see the title come up is very. It's, it's a it's a you know, super fly shaft homage completely, and it works brilliantly. But it's a very clever thriller, and like you don't. Yeah, you know, it's a crime thriller. You don't think you have to watch it once. You're not entirely sure you've completely clocked what happened in it, and you have to go back and rewatch it. I mean, I, I remember being shell shocked by Samuel Jackson's braided beard. Yeah. 
But De Niro's good in it as well. And the he hadn't been, in, he hadn't been good in anything Robert else Forster for a long time. Robert yeah. fantastic in it. But for me, like when I go back and think of it, it's probably the first Tarantino film I watch. And it's the one I hold. You know, I love, I absolutely adore the soundtrack. I think, like, I love the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. But I think the Jackie Brown soundtrack is absolutely stunning. Some of the music that he used. And I just, it just, it just feels right. It just, I feel like he got it right. And it's, it doesn't, he doesn't rely on the typical Tarantino violence in this film or like, Anything particularly nasty? It's just a very clever crime thriller with a great cast. I suppose you can revisit it, but I, I struggle with Pam Greer. I didn't really find her that likable and relatable. Pam Greer, it was a genius Foxy casting. Brown, yeah, that, that was the thing. It carried a lot of weight having Pam as your lead in that film. It was made it interesting. Mm-hmm. Kind of really draw what, what is he going to do with this icon of black exploitation cinema? So oh. then, then we have the long break that. What is it, six years out? And then we get to Kill Bill. Yes, which split into two volumes. I feel like it's dated. I think this, well, this is his interpretation of a manga style movie. It's it's very much ripping off Japanese animation, Japanese manga all the way through, with the way the characters are set up, the way the art's directed. It's, it's very much riffing off stuff like from 70s manga and bits like that. I, t- I, feel, I feel like this is, this is the point, though, where we get to the... So the, the the B side of Tarantino, where well, like he stop he stops he stops trying to make a a, a film where it's like a plot and well, there is, is a plot. This is where he's kind of like. Well, this is his own internal fictionalized universe in the Reservoir Dogs universe. Well, this this is him like this is him really now embellishing his influences and making genre pieces and stuff like that. Whereas before, like they were kind of like, it was crime predominantly was his genre that he sat in. Whereas yeah. now he's making different types of films, so like the kung fu film. Yeah. Or westerns and things like that, but I think like Kill Bill, Part One especially has dated badly. I don't think it's as good as it as I initially thought it was. But part Two is far superior. Volume Two is a good, I, far I superior. Sit on piece. The opposite side of the fence on that. I think the whole crazy eighty-eight fight sequence is still one of the greatest yeah. fight sequences. Kill, Kill Bill Volume One was one of the is one of the few movies that when I came out, I wanted to go straight back. Oh yeah, I lo- I loved it, and uh, the whole thing, the pe- the thing is, the whole thing is fantastic when you watch them back to back. But I feel for me, part of Volume Two holds more weight. There's a bit more weight to the bride in that you find out more about her, you connect to her a bit more. It felt more. This part Volume Two felt more Tarantino in the way because it was more slower, more dialogue heavy but then scenes. That was the spaghetti western yeah. version, which I felt was more suit what he yeah. did better. But I'd prefer, as I said, Kill Bill Volume 1 because I don't want to know about the bride, the whole point, the bride is she's mysterious. But then I do, though, that's the thing. Like, I'm spending four hours on the company's character. I want some weight behind her after a while. But I was more interested in the whole Japanese aspects of the first of the first yeah. film and then the inclusion of the animated sequence and the whole idea of like the Kunzo Blade and all the rest of it yeah. and all that mythology that it, that it created in that first film. I, I, and, and I like the look. Yeah. I do. I don't think it's dated because it is. It is like Ryan was saying. It's an anime brought to life. Yeah. And, and, a, and a good version of, of telling that kind of revenge story. It's very yeah. much along the, the lines of. You, you could like, feel like Lone Wolf. Yeah, film. yeah. It's what very much. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so then we move on to Inglorious Bastards. Now this was very close to be my other favorite character. Well, no, I think you skipped. Oh, I have skipped. Jeff Bridges. Do you are skip? Stuff Grindhouse as a concept piece, but Death Proof was a so actual standalone film is brilliant, and people hate on it because it's mostly talking. But I think it's I think it's brilliant. I think it's it's perfect. It, it, I think it was a failure of concept. It suffered, yeah, by being 
compared being in the same thing as Planet Terror. Yeah, I think which, I which thought is, Death Proof's a better film. I, do, I would also I, the soundtrack that is killer for DJ. I think the problem with that was everybody was expecting it. It's like, oh, I've got all my mates here, and I've got like yeah. all these trailers that are being fake made for this film, and it was supposed to be an experience. And you got, yeah, and if you if you've got Kurt Russell, and you don't really make the best of him, yeah, it's it's a bit. It doesn't quite know what it wants to be. It, 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 does, it doesn't come together as a film. No, okay. it's a bit flaccid in the concept. Yeah. I think I it's think... Tarantino. It's Tarantino working second, like not at his hardest. But he, but even in his hard, still puts it good together. It's a short film that's half an hour too long. I think. I like it. I like. I personally, I really enjoy it. I, I, I like it. It feels to me a bit like Death Race two thousand in a way. I feel like that's what he was going for. I think he got it. That car, I, the car chase I, at the I, end. I think he, I think he missed the mark. Of a, but the car of, chase of at the end race. is superb. I mean, it was his, like, going back to the slasher movies of the late 70s, early 80s, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, so, then we've got Inglourious Bastards. Again, like I was saying, that this is, to me, like, probably, this was close to Jackie Brown as being a favourite. I did not, when I was making a war film, I wasn't on board for the idea. I'm not particularly a particular fan of war films. Well, but this, this is not a war film. This is where he finds Christoph Waltz, though, which makes yeah. makes that movie. But it's, it's not a war film. It's It's... It's set in the war, but it's not at all. It's a it's a it's, it's a comedy drama. Well, it's it's the dirty dozen for a new generation, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I mean, it's it's Reservoir Dogs, World War Two. It's, yeah. it's 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 the the familiar tropes of a of a Tarantino story. Because yeah. there's no there's no, there's no like there's no war scenes. There's nobody fighting in the in a battle or anything like that. It literally is scenes surrounding things that are going on, surrounding scenes from the war. Like, I love the fact that this showdown takes place in cinema. I like the fact it's an alternate history. I, th- I think that weakens it a little bit, though, because that scene kind of re-references other movies, and that's why violence is so glorified in Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, is that the war ended in this way. Oh, it's, a, it's a great film. It it's really quite funny so, as well. It's so rewatchable. Yeah. And Christoph Waltz is with Mer- Melanie Laurent. I mean, the, the, the bar scene is pretty much an iconic scene. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give it that. But I think it was... He was trying to take, make too much of Brad Pitt as well in that film. I feel like that this is the film where like we've got Tarantino's grown up finally, and he's finally started making his adult films, so to speak. So he's making these genre pieces, but like like okay. Kill Bill was the was fun, you know, it was like chucking every influence under the sun. Whereas this is kind of like I'm just gonna do a war film, yeah. and it, it felt more mature for him. I think this is where he he got his fingers burnt with Brian Howe when he basically went back and probably recentered himself of what am I good at. And it's taking another genre of movie and turning it on its head a little bit. Mm. And I think that's where Inglorious Bastards comes out. Is because it's basically him saying, "All right, I might have failed, and it's the first time my film's not been a critical and a box office success, really." So, what do I need to do to rework myself? It's a superb film, in my opinion. Though, mm-hmm. then we get to Django Unchained. Again, Christoph Waltz makes that movie. Yeah, Christoph Waltz and DiCaprio are great. Jamie Fox. I'm not. He's the weakest one. Out of I don't the main think he was that great in the role. I think. I feel yeah. like I feel like Will Smith should have taken that role. I mean, I feel like it would have been more iconic if Will Smith had taken it. If I get another story about how Leonardo DiCaprio hurt his bloody hand, there, I'm going to really punch him. I, I think I, I don't think having now seen it, Will Smith would have been a no. better cast. I don't think he'd been right I think at Jamie Foxx actually does good in that role. Mm-hmm. Nick, mm-hmm. Will Smith, I don't think. Can do a role 
without a little bit of kind of like you know it's, he's he's not that serious an actor mm. in terms of what he's doing and I think Jamie Foxx manages to do that a little bit in this I mean you know he's got the chops to do it as you know when you see him in oh, things like Baby Driver you know you couldn't imagine that character being played by Will Smith I don't think just a film though doesn't it doesn't fully sit right with it like don't get me wrong I think it's a great film I think no. I really enjoyed it when I watched it but in terms of like the other work Tarantino has done this is definitely the bottom of the pile for me because I, c- I can't be bothered to go back and watch it I actually think it's his worst soundtrack there's like a crap country western song he puts in it which is just atrocious I feel like to me this is Tarantino I feel like he wanted to do a western and he, he, he faffed it up a bit with this I mean to me it's the this is a Christoph Waltz acting masterclass yeah. and everybody else is a Everybody else is subservient. Well, like, Sa- we haven't looked at Samuel L. Jackson. He's brilliant in this film. Samuel, yeah. Jack- Samuel L. Jackson in this film is genuinely a hateful, very funny at times, yeah. but hateful character in this film. He's horrible, but he's he's but so it, like the performances are brilliant. He's the counterfoil to Christoph Waltz's character mm. because he's, he hates everything about who he is in that film. He mm. thinks he's elevated himself up, where Christoph Waltz is trying to elevate people. Properly. But it, it's I feel it's sad though that like. Like we said about Jamie Foxx, that like when everybody else surrounding you in that film is puts in a better performance than you do, and you're the title character. I I I mean, I did I did get a bit of a thrill out of Franco Nero being in it, mm. the original yeah. Django, which was quite good. But I also kind of like the idea that the um, it's it's one of his better looking movies as well because of, of his work with um, Robert Richardson for, for cinematography, and I think having working with with cinematographers that have got a good eye. Coupled with Tarantino's ability to, to to do the wordy dialogue stuff, and I think it's, it's a beautiful look. It's a good looking movie um, overall. You know the use of the use of sets and the kind of um, the American countryside is, is really nice looking. I mean, the one thing that never gets me is the Don Johnson cameo scene. That, that scene Not just was complete. <laughs> that film was just complete. That scene was completely pointless. The entire plot of the film. But yeah, but it's Don Johnson, so yeah. Iconic people, doesn't it? And what's his face? Uh, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill, yeah. He's that just... was meant to be a meteor role, but they got yeah. cut. Um, so then we're on to his final movie before this current release. So that, this is Western Take 2, The Hate yeah. Light. Which again brings into your concept of the, the theatre element. It's a it. stage play. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. completely, it's a self-contained oh, yeah. story in one location, practically. Now, yeah. I, I think The Hate Light, I think The Hate Light is a great film, but it's a long slog to watch. It's very, very yeah. slow. I mean, he uses Kurt Russell properly. Yeah, he, 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 he learns well. his lesson. Walton Goggins as well in this film is superb. Like, yeah. he's brilliant. He's the standout character. Mm. I mean, Channing Tatum is probably the worst bit of casting. Spoilers. But I think he is the worst bit of casting in the whole movie. I think he wants, but that's the thing, is somebody else wants, he wants someone else that role and no one took it and Channing yeah. Tatum offed himself. I mean, we get the return of Tim Roth as well. One of his actual partners I mean, on it's, a, it's a cast of heavy hitters. Yeah, it's a great film, but again, the last couple of films have not been his best. I feel like the like western was always a genre Tarantino like really seemed to thrive up, right, yeah. want to do, and I feel like he didn't didn't ever get the western right. Like both films are great, but they're not as good as western as he could have done. I think. I mean, bringing every Ennio Morricone onto the display is a masterstroke because but if, then if, if you want western music, you go for Ennio Morricone. But then it's someone take it stands out as one of Tarantino's least famous film scores because a soundtrack because it's it's the score. Well, it's it's a proper score. It's not a soundtrack. That's the yeah. That, that that didn't feel right for me as yeah. a Tarantino film. But I kind of liked it as well that he treated like a film from the 
the golden age of well, cinema because it, it, yeah. it has an overture mm. and an intermission yeah which is quite you know you don't get that a lot in no. modern films and stuff yeah. so it's quite i kind of like that idea that like, you, know, you get this this glorious bit of music that starts before the film begins yeah and that like in the in the kind of original cut you yeah. get that break okay before we move on to quickly talking about what's going on in hollywood your favorite film from the early and what genre are you wanting to do for this 10th film to be honest Kill Bill Volume One, still my favourite one to rewatch. Okay. I think Reservoir Dogs is the best critically made film because, as I said, it's very small budget and you get some great acting out of it. Okay. For his next genre, if the rumour's right, he's going sci fi anyway with Star Trek, but I'd love to see a proper sci fi movie, but I can't see one. Okay. Hey. I think it's, it's pretty much a tie for me between Kill Bill Volume One and Pulp Fiction. Although I can rewatch pretty much any of them, just because of the way that dialogue works, um, I don't really care what he does as his next genre. Really, I don't think. Is it supposed to be his final movie? The next one, or is it twelve that he said he was going to do? Next one's meant to be the final one. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of don't, don't really see where he can go. Um, you know, I don't think there's a, a genre that really suits him other than that kind of, you know, just just. To, a drama of some description. Um, so for me, Jackie Brown obviously has previously mentioned. Uh, I really want to see him do a full-on horror film. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to have horror elements to it towards the end, but I, I'd love to see him do like proper seventy-style Italian giallo thing, well, horror film like that. From what I've heard, it's going to be a very distinctly two-part movie. With Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so you might get your wish in the second half. Yeah, maybe. But I feel like Giallo is like maybe the thing he he would understand and know about and could do well for a modern audience because I love Giallo. So Lee, are we even going to bother to ask you? Well, like I said, Reservoir Dogs is the one decent film that I was actually able to watch and enjoy on some level, but it, it's not a film that I'm particularly keen on revisiting. So yeah, that's that's what we're up to. Like I said, I've seen Pulp Fiction, I've seen Kill Bill, and couldn't stand either of them, so I've never watched anything else. Would you like him to do like a game franchise movie like Pokemon? I, w- I would like him... Quentin to- Tarantino's Super Mario Brothers? I would like him to do a we good movie. we already got a horror movie. film for Super Mario. Yeah. That's what I want him to do. I want him to do a good movie. <laughs> One that's not full of cool dialogue and... Tarantino <laughs> does Resident Evil. What about... Okay, so what about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, then? Um, I don't think it's going to be as critically and as box office as successful as he hoped. I think he's lost his luster, especially with news articles that have come out in the last few years. And I don't think he's going to, he's, he's not punching as much weight as he used to. Um, I literally cannot wait for it. I've been looking forward to this film all year, as I've said. Um... I mean, he hasn't had the script leak this time, which is an advantage. I mean, for me, this is perfect. This is this feels like like the English Bastards route of maybe an alternate history thing again. Hollywood in the sixties clearly an influence to him from other films. Um, I think it's going to be partially comedy. I do think there's going to be horror in this. There's the fact he's tackling Manson, one of my favourite subject matters, is exciting to me. So I'm I'm totally on board for this. I think it's going to be a cool look at the sixties. I think it's going to be like Pulp Fiction, as well. I think I think it's going to be great. I think. I don't know, yeah, it might not be a big success, but I do think critically, I think this is probably going to be good for Oscars. I just, 
the first trailer I thought made me concerned that they didn't quite know how to market it, and I I wonder whether it's a case of the in the end they're not quite sure what the film is, so whether it will be too much of a mix of themes uh, yeah, to work so as a whole. From what I've heard, they've only shown clips from the first half of the movie, mm. and the second half is going to take a very distinct, different turn. I mean, you, you, you're dealing with Charlie Manson. Of course you are. Of course, mm. of course it is. Anyway, talking trailers. San Diego Comic Con's on as the time of recording this, so we might miss a few big trailers. But I have done a trailer talk roundup of some of the stuff that's coming up over the next few months. So the first one I have pulled out of the bag of trailers is... When I get back up. Is it a big one? It is a big bag of trailers. It is The King's Man. <laughs> so this is a prequel to the two King's Men movies we've seen. This is the origin of the King's Men. So you got is it Ray Fine Fines? Ray Fines? One of the Ralph, so, so Ralph Fines. One, yeah. one of the Fines is running around yeah. in the World War One. Ray Rafe doesn't really do movies that he doesn't think is very good. I kinda I kinda liked the whole yeah. um look of it. I thought it was a well constructed trailer, made me curious, made me interested. Uh I probably will go and see it. Uh, as someone who hasn't seen like either of the Kingsman Kingsman films I had no real clue what was happening in that trailer, and I kept going, "What kind of movie is this? Is this a war movie? Is this? Yeah. Is that looks like Rasputin? What's going on here?" I think it's been massively pared back from the two Kingsmen movies we've had, which are mm. pretty much crazy action films. They're comic book movies. Yeah, they're so comic book movies, basically. So it's basically what Kickass was, but another mm. few steps up. Whereas this seems to be slightly more, not really grounded, but a bit more realistic in it. It's an action spy history yeah. type thing, so I, I thought it looked, looked, looked pretty decent in that trailer. The, the, the music, the choice of music, the way they used the shots, yeah, uh, had me interested. It's gonna be. Uh, I, th- I think the backstory is probably better to explain explain film rather than just have no real yeah knowledge of where the things come from. Next movie along, Lupin the First. So we've got Lupin so, the but, Third going into three dimensional afterwards. So, Lupin the Third was a big TV series in the seventies. We had the Studio Ghibli movie. Hayao Miyazaki's first work. Yeah, that's basically my entire exposure to Lupin the Third is the yeah. Castle of Cagastro. Yeah, but uh, he's a very well-regarded character. He's based off a series of books around Lupin, who is supposed mm-hmm. to be a contem- uh, similar time period as Mister Sherlock Holmes, but mm-hmm. a master French priest. Yeah, he's the one of the archetypal gentleman thieves. Yes, these days. Raffles. Yes, so basically it's a modern retelling of the Lupin the Third mm-hmm. film, sort of look at it. Um, pretty nah. much quality anime fodder for me. Mm-hmm. I, I would have preferred it to have been traditional. Yeah, animation. yeah, I, I, I put the same thing down. Yeah. So, no, yeah. just like, I mean, more Lupin the Third's never a bad thing in my opinion. Mm-hmm. If they're sticking quite close to the original manga source material. I mean, yeah. the animation makes it look like they're yeah. certainly doing it with the art style at least. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I feel five hundred still there, so I'm happy with mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I mean, I could have been a little bit more cell shaded, perhaps. Yes, mm. um, you know, because it's a bit more borderlandsy style. Yeah, I think that would have worked because I mean, you know, Professor Layton um, yeah. worked well with the kind of CG backgrounds and um, or some like neo characters. characters style. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it looked looked fine. Yeah. Next one up, Madness in the Method. So this is Jason Mewes' directorial debut. Uh, basically, him. 
doing a personal exploration of this is more than just Jason going sign a Bob. So, as someone who's seen one Kevin Smith movie, I had absolutely no idea what was going on in the trailer, for the yeah. most part. <laughs> I'm curious as to which... Clerks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got enough knowledge about Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, yeah. They are. yeah. So it's basically, it's the whole thing about he's Kevin Smith's foil in all the in the Smithverse mm-hmm. universe mm-hmm. movies. So it's a case of, does he, can he establish himself as a serious actor? Mm-hmm. But from the look of it, it's a mystical book and it basically sends him crazy mm. trying to become a method actor and then it falls in. I mean, there's lots and lots of cameos as well. This to me just felt like a trailer you might see online and you know, you'd never come across this film on anything. It'll never crop up anyway unless you actively seek it out. It ain't getting a big release because it looks rubbish. It's going to be in Sky Store pretty soon, I think. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not yeah. certainly not going to be clogging up the screens at a no. local multiplex for no. a while. Like, I mean, it's going to be an interesting take to see his side of the story, really. I think most people's interest will be the fact that he's still alive. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, they even made a joke about that in the yeah. actual trailer mm-hmm. itself. See, for me, it kind of looked like it could be good. Yeah. In a sort of Big Lebowski kind of way, because like, it was all over the place. Yeah. And so was the Big Lebowski, but that was great. Yeah. But at the same time, it could go completely the other way and be just terrible and, and nonsensical. I think it, I think in it the will be way. both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll, go, you'll kind of go, I laughed at that. I shouldn't have, yeah. but I laughed at it. It's well, probably going to be a couple of fart jokes. Yeah. yeah. I think if you had any kind of love for the Kevin Smith yeah. collection mm-hmm. of movies, I think it might be interesting at least giving mm-hmm. us at least one watch. I mean, I do need to like look into his... Mm-hmm. Back catalogue, anyway. So. Which is a good time to do some <laughs> of Kevin Smith. Yeah. So, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Oh, God. So, this is Jay and Silent Bob, Bob Strikes Back. Strikes Back, basically. Phantom Phantom. <laughs> Which is basically what is happening in cinema now. They're rebooting all the stuff from the mid 2000s mm. for the next audience along. Oh, I can't wait for the Dude Where's My Car reboot. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't turn that. <laughs> but dude got... Where's My Prius. Yes. Yeah. So they've turned Jay into a lady for this. Uh, I don't know. It, again, it's it's Cameo City, isn't it? It's everybody who's ever been in a Kevin Smith film shows back. In I, feel, I feel like this is Jay Silent and Bob Strike Back without the budget. Yeah, I think the thing that troubled me about the trailer was it did look t- a bit shocking in terms yeah. of... It didn't seem to be a quality product. I mean, he hasn't made a quality product in years, though, has he? Well, he made Tusk, he had Red State, he had his delve into horror. Which you guys, his, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, he's cast his daughter in there, so that's good to yeah. see Harley. But it, it kind of looks like it's it's probably ten years too late. Yeah. I think for, for Kevin as a filmmaker at this stage in his career, he's probably past his peak, and he's better off as a commentator on modern cinema rather than the maker of modern cinema because this just does look very much kind of like he hasn't progressed much from doing clerks as a craft as a as a director and as a writer i don't think he's looks a little juvenile and it's going to be full of kind of really crass jokes i'd agree with that it's going to be i think the audience for his movies have moved on and I think Clerks 2 was the end of that. I felt I, well, I was a massive fan of the Kevin Smith films. I felt oh, James, yeah, yeah. James Silent Bob Strike Back wrapped them all up quite nicely. Clerks 2 to me was an utterly pointless film. I yeah. rewatched it recently. It's an utterly pointless film. It yeah. wasn't funny. It was, you know, Clerks did never needed a sequel. The fact that Rand, uh, Rand, Randall and Dante cropped up in other films was quite cool. You know, yeah. like there's like little scenes of them out here and there. 
But like I, I feel like at that point, like yeah. they've wrapped all wrapped up with the whole giving James Bond Bob Bearfield the whole Middle Earth versus Star Wars. He could have thrown into any film, and that is a great piece of dialogue. I'll, I'll give him credit for that. But it's kind of but it's funny talking about him just having talked about Tarantino. The idea that like Clerks was his Reservoir Dogs, and More Rats was quite clearly his Pulp Fiction. Yeah, but unlike Tarantino, he's kind of went okay. I've done. I've got, and then hasn't. Hasn't carried on, he's kind of plateaued. Dog was a great movie. Dog was his best film. Yeah, and I think after that, it's kind of, it's it's descended into moth. I have have a lot of love for him and what he loves. And, you know, he loves a lot of the things that I love. And it's, yeah, it's it's basically why you put dialogue in when you can put a fart joke in. That's what it feels like with Kevin Smith movies. So, next movie along is Judy. Starring Renee Zellweger. I mean, to watch the trailer for that. Judy Garland. It's basically based at. It looks more to be like toward the end of Judy's career. The fame's yeah. not there anymore. She has to come to the UK to earn some money. Kind of like Renee's career. Yeah. Mm. As as a second half of a century male, yeah. I don't think this film's for me. No, I don't think no. this film's. As, as someone who doesn't like musicals, this yeah. film definitely isn't for me. I mean, I got a cinema pass. Maybe I'll go. <laughs> I, 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 you know, it'll be a solid, entertaining movie. And if it was on the, if it was on TV or on Netflix, I would probably watch it and be entertained. Yeah, it. it seems like but it'd I'm be all right, but just does nothing. If you want me. a Judy Garland biopic, we've got a Judy Garland biopic. So Rennie Zellweger. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jumanji: The Next Level. So this is following on from the the Jumanji reboot, and basically they just swapped up the characters a little bit. I mean, I kind of like the look of it, but it, it feels like the joke's going to wear thin on this one. Yeah. Well, they've got the two Dannys in it, so you've got DeVito and Glover. It, I mean, it worked in the first film, yeah. the whole way it subverted your expectations of what you were going to get out of the Jumanji film. Doing yeah. it a second time round, yeah. I, you know, I might have bought it more if they'd have been other characters in the game part yeah. as well. But mm. just reusing the same character. Yeah. I think there will be other characters in it though, because there's a couple of other characters. Yeah, we don't know where they've ended up. Yeah, but it's, it's not. It's, at the end, at the same time though, I do love the Rock and Kevin Hart on screen together. They are great. Yeah. So the, them playing slightly different roles. Obviously, they they realised they were the two big things about the last mm. film. So they'd be like, well, what can we get them to do instead of them fighting all the time? This one, what can we get them to do this time where it's slightly different? You know, this is what they playing up to is the Rock yeah. and Kevin Hart's comedy skills. But I think like my feelings was. That- the, the last film actually surprised me. I, I went into that thinking it was going to be terrible, but I was going to watch it anyway, because why the hell not? And I actually really enjoyed it. Mm. But this one, I just feel is going to be obnoxious. From that trailer, I just got this sense of, like, this I is going to annoy the hell out of me. I feel, I feel like they're going to kill something they got right. There's yeah. going to be so many old man jokes in the first half. Exactly. Yeah. The beauty of the first one was that you kind of went, oh, I'm not expecting anything good. And yeah. then you came out and went, actually, that was, that was pretty decent. Yeah, I think as well, like... Just one of the things that was annoying me is the fact that in the first, in the last film, they actually had like the characters understood like the language of video games. They understood understood they were in this video game world. Whereas now yeah. there's a lot of from that trailer, it's very clear there's a lot of jokes. We're about, they're old people. men who yeah. don't understand this, and there's going to be tons of jokes about that. And I'm gonna like, you're going to drag those jokes out for ninety minutes, yeah. and it's going to get <laughs> it feels so like, tired. Yeah, it feels like it's a great time to stretch out too far. Yeah. Uh, next one along, Disney courting the Chinese money, Mulan. Oh, I spoke to Laura about this. Um, 
she's disappointed in not having the songs or the cartoon elements to it. The dragon. Yeah, so, but I feel like maybe Disney have decided that's maybe a bit too childish because they want to go a bit serious with it. I thought it looked cool, but I don't, I've never seen the original, so I don't know the frame of reference. Yeah, I think, like, my problem with the live action remake so far is it's just like, they don't justify themselves. Like, especially with things like The Lion King just coming out, which is just, everyone's complaining that it just, it just it's a shot to shot remake of the original. But it, but with like less expressive characters and yeah. less interesting visuals. And it's like why even bother making this when you just go watch go back and watch the animated one. Whereas this one, it looks like it's a reinterpretation of the original story. And I feel yeah. like that justifies it a bit more. It's like they re- they're going back to that original story I think they're and redoing it. A historical epic. Yeah. But Slightly yeah. Disney-fied, yeah. which is going to be interesting to see how yeah. they're going to do Yeah, it's a there. slightly different subject matter for them as well. It's not the kind of uh, Western fairy tale story. They are yeah. taking a story that is that does exist. Yeah. And and like Lee was saying, I thought that's the thing that's the strength of this one, is that they've gone, okay, we've done this story once before in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're approaching it from a live-action point of view. Mm-hmm. What will that be? Not just thinking, let's just remake the, the cartoon. Which is why this one looks this might, a bit more interesting. This one might I work think as a result. I'm happy with the casting as well because they've yeah. actually gone with a, a properly, not say authentic cast, but a, mm. a more realistic cast mm. for this mm. one. And, I, and I, I don't mind the idea that there aren't going to be songs and stuff because I kind mm-hmm. of like Disney films that don't have songs in them. And I don't. We don't need Eddie Murphy making TikTok besides. No, yeah. I mean I, this. This kind of reminds me of when. Disney were doing some really strong animated films like Treasure yeah. Planet and uh, Lilo and Stitch and yeah. um, Atlantis that were just solid action-adventure movies, and I think this yeah. could be the live-action equivalent of that. Right, so next one, Top Gun. Is it worth revisiting a franchise after 30 years? Well, in the trailer, when Tom Cruise says, that's one of life's mysteries, so I was like, yeah, that's what I think about the film existing. Yeah. <laughs> it seems to exist just to kind of go, Oh, wasn't Tom Cruise cool 30 years he, ago? He was massaging his Tom Cruise ago. Yeah. I think there's going to be fans of the original film, and that's about it. And then the last trailer, because there's nothing really much to say about Top Gun, except basically it's Tom Cruise in a fighter jet again. John Ham's in it. John Ham. <laughs> but does John Ham fly a fighter John jet by himself? Ham. I'd be more interested if Val Kilmer was in it in a plane. Put it that way. But, Will um, John Ham's call sign be Porky? <laughs> 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 Ice cream man. There we go. But uh Madman. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cats. The, the, this Eternal the Screaming is my only note for this one. It's basically been a year for really bad CGI movies. <laughs> I I reckon everybody that was working in the Sonic studio went, What did we do wrong? <laughs> yeah. I think people gone on Sonic and actually went Actually, that's not. Can we just have a Sonic movie now? It looks more like a goddamn hedgehog than when, they when, look when you have furries online saying that they could do a better job than this. <laughs> um, what? Like, I haven't got much to say about it, but the fact that like Judy Dench as a cat just looks like Judy Dame, Dench. Dame Judy, uh, Judy Dench. Je- je- I hate Dame, Judy Dench anyway. Dame Judy Dench and Sir Ian McKellen are above this movie in so many ways. Especially like, when don't... James Corden shows up. Yes. <laughs> Jason Derulo of all <laughs> oh, people. What, what gets me more is... Does his character say his own name though? That's what I want to know about Jason Derulo. Yeah, character. I could understand. Jason Derulo! <laughs> I would understand if they wrote a scoped and body motion capped 
the actresses and actors themselves. Mm -hmm. They've blatantly not done that. They've mm -hmm. gone out and found a troupe of dancers who can dance and perform professionally, and then just deep faked mocap their faces onto these people in bodysuits, and then added fake fur. There's a there's a moment in the trailer where I, I was just, all I could think of was the fact that they the, they hadn't seen the three robots episode of <laughs> um, Love Death and Robots, where a cat sits at a table. Holding a knife and fork. <laughs> yeah. How does that happen without opposable thumbs? And on top of that, none of, none of the furniture matches inside. <laughs> we have a bed which is designed for 600 million people, <laughs> yet mouse traps are only the size of their hand, and then candles are their cat size. I think, I think as a theatre experience, it probably would have worked because you're suspending a certain amount of disbelief, but as a film as to be fair like i've always found cats a little bit off-putting anyway like yeah. even as a, i mean again i don't like musicals but andrew Webber has enough money that this doesn't need to be made basically everything i've seen of the stage show though i'm just like this yeah. is horrifying and i don't want anything to do with it i i, I just hope they follow this up with um, starlight express oh, I've seen uh, done, by david cronenberg done in, done in the same way yeah <laughs> david cronenberg starlight express is the only way to get around that movie i mean i, I was shocked and horrified by what i saw but yeah. then I, I want starlight express to look like when they mod thomas the tank engine into skyrim that's what i want it to look like <laughs> so the thing is this is as we meant as one i think guy you mentioned it's released on the same day as star, star wars. wars oh so yeah. it's basically they've done this position for uh, all the nerds and geeks will be watching star wars and that means all their wives and partners will be going out to watch cats nobody wants to watch cats yeah i would prefer it looks like jordan peele's done a musical movie somebody did recut this trailer within a couple of hours to the Was soundtrack it? from the us trailer yeah um I got five on it, and they did it, and it made it infinitely more interesting looking, mm -hmm. which is what, which is fine. But again, whether regardless of how brilliant the animation would have been, it, I was horrified and shocked by what I saw. It's worse. But there was nothing. There was nothing they were ever going to show me that was make me make me want to go to see yeah. Cats as a film. I would not. Yeah. You know, I mean, one thing that's worse for me out of all of this is they've anthropomorphized the cats fair enough. Giving Rebel Wilson's cat boobs, which have motion shake on them. That was weird. That was uh, really weird. And mm -hmm. then nothing else. Mm -hmm. It's like, if she's going to be a cat, at least give her six boobs. Yes. But the way they constructed that trailer to build to the point, and Rebel Wilson, and then gave that immediately then, like, here's a comedy sequence with her in. Yeah. It's like, Whilst Moonlight's playing in the background, yeah. which makes no... It's, it's just dissonance all over the shop. Mm -hmm. I think it's been rubber stamps and approved and nobody's actually taken it and looked at it as a whole thing. Yeah. I thought you meant just no one's looked at it at all. No. I did like the music from Cats that they used in an ITV World Cup uh, thing in about 1982. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was quite nice, that, that music they did. But, yeah. Yeah. but that's our thoughts on the trailers that we see this week. Keith, where can find you now? You can find me on the not-as-good-as-it-was Twitter. If you use the desktop version at hardluck underscore hotel, because everybody loves an underscore, uh, and on Instagram without the underscores. Go and have a look at my pictures and like them because that's all I live for is the likes. Guy, where can we find you? I got underscore happen on Twitter. And Lee, where can we find you? You can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, and you can find me on Twitter at The Cheap Ferret. You can find me. Not pay any tax bill. At Ryan Parrish on Twitter. 
from your mum for the foodie stuff and you find us all at Geeky Brummy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, geekybrummy.com and on YouTube and wherever else the words geeky and brummy are attached together. Yes, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Basically subscribe to everything because uh, we're free. Unlike Sky or Virgin Media or Netflix or Amazon Prime, or all our subscriptions are currently oh. free. Also, the best film podcast in Birmingham. Yes. Mm-hmm. But for now, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Meow.